Here we're starting here on the bottom of Kuf Yud Gimel Bet, the last line. Where in the Torah do we see that it's proper, appropriate, proper etiquette to change one's clothing from the Torah? It talks about the Hotzat Adeshin, and it says that he should take off his clothing and wear other clothing. They conclude from this, Torah taught you proper conduct. You cook for your master. You should not be presenting his goblet, his cup of wine to him. There's different clothing that you wear in the kitchen and that you wear when you come to the dining room. So to over here, when the Suk is talking about the Otsat Deshin, Torah says change into other clothing because that's dirty work. You're getting involved with coals, the ashes, and you could dirty up the clothing, the big day kihuna. So change into lesser clothing to perform that mitzvah. And then when you come to service in the Mikdash before Hashem, you change back into your good bidgadim, into your big day kihuna. It is inappropriate for a Talmud Chacham to go out to the Shuk with shoes that are patched up. We have Maiserav. We have an instance where we have someone going out to the Shuk with patches in their shoes. It's only when it's patched on top of a patch so that it's just overly patched. Let's like it's no longer a proper shoe or a nice looking shoe. We have another statement. You can see that it's all authored by the same individual here. All these statements are from We have a continuum of these statements from Rabbi Yochanan, which is called Any Talmud Chacham who has a grease stain on his baguette, fat on his baguette, chayav da shnemar, kol misanai ehavu mavet. All of those that hate me love death. Altigra misanai ela masniai. Don't call those that hate me, but rather those that cause hatred towards me. Tamar chokom who represents Hashem, represents the Torah, they present themselves in such a manner as to make other people disgusted, to make other people feel, we don't want to be near this person, then they are causing hatred towards the Kaddish Baruch Hu, towards the Torah. You see, Rashi, he says, Amun has to be appropriate stature because of the Kavad Torah that he represents. And therefore, if the person causes others to be disgusted, to distance themselves from Lumdei Torah, that's a problem. That's what's being indicated here through the limit of the Pasuk. Vinamar Rivad. Vina says not Rivav, Greece, but rather Rivad. Rashi learns that Rivad is Shechvat Zera, whereas the Rabbeinu Hananel learned that Rivad is Dama Bigdo, his blood on his begad, that is disgusting. Shema Yer Ekiketem, because it looks like a Stain from the Dam of Nida, something also that would be problematic. Others say Ravad is a patch, a deep or thick patch. So therefore, Ravina Maravadi Tmar instead of Ravav, Velopliga, and they really don't argue. Ha Beglima, Ha Belavusha. Depends what you're talking about. The Glima is his outer cloak. Levusha is the shirt. So when it comes to the outer cloak, then fat or grease stains are problematic because that's what's going to be seen by people on the outside. To have a grease stain on the inner clothing, it's going to be covered most of the time and maybe even expected. It's not something considered so far-fetched. 
the other hand, if the inner shirt has ravad, according to Rashi, Sheikh Wadzera, according to the Rabbeinu Hanano, dam, or according to others that say a thick patch, that is something that even on the inner garment is considered to be inappropriate or disgusting, and again will engender feelings towards Talmud Chachamim, towards the Torah, towards Hashem, that put people ill at ease and help them distance themselves from Hashem and the Torah. What is written in the pasuk Kasher Allah Avdi Ishayau Arom Viachif that my Eved Ishaya went for me naked and barefoot. Arum Arum doesn't literally mean naked, but begadim bluim clothing that is in tatters. Viachif doesn't mean really barefoot, but benalaim hametulaim, but with shoes that are patched. Again, this idea that wearing tattered clothing and patched shoes is the equivalent of going out naked and barefoot, and that's why before, Biochran indicated that it's inappropriate for a Talmud Chacham to wear this type of clothing or to walk in public with these types of shoes. If you have grease on the Mardea, which is the blanket that goes on the donkey, the equivalent of a saddle for the donkey or the saddle bag for the donkey, if you have a revav, if you have this fat or grease stain on it, then it is chotzeitz. Chotzeitz is for the issue of mikveh. If you want to place it into the mikveh and you want to be metaher, this item, then the revav is chotzeitz. That has to be the size of an Italian coin, the Italian isak. On clothing, from one side it's not chotzeitz. If it penetrates, if it's through the entire bag and it can see on both sides, then it is a chatzitza. Even from one side, it is a chatzitza. Is the mardat, the donkey saddle, the donkey blanket, does that mean from one side or from two sides? In that when we started at the Mishnah from Mikvaot, talked about the grease stain on the Mardaya, and then it just says Chatzitza. Then you moved over to the Bigadim, and the Bigadim we differentiated between one side and two sides. You had a Machloket. The Tanakhama says that it has to be from two sides, and Rabbi Yudu from Rabbi Shmuel says that even on one side. The Rabbi Shimon says, okay, once we know that about the latter half of the Mishnah, what about the Mardeya? Does the Mardeya mean from one side or from two sides? Amalei Zulo Shamati says, I did not hear the information about this. Shamati, but I heard something similar. The Tanan. Rabbi Yossi Omer. Shel Banain the clothing of Banaim, then from one side it's a chatzitza, Vishel Bur. And for the Ameha Aretz, then it's Mishnei Tzadim. It's from two sides. And the Mardat, a donkey, blanket, or saddle, shouldn't be any more important than a Begit of an Amaretz. A Begit of Amaretz that requires two sides to be chotzitz, so too the donkey saddle, the blanket of the donkey, should require two sides. So my Banaim, and this is why this is brought down over here, what is the Banaim? You had two types of clothing mentioned in that Mishnah. You have the Shelbur, and then you have Shel Banaim. Who are these Banaim versus the Bur? So Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Eilu Tamidei Chachamim. Rabbi Yochanan says that the Mishnah is referring to the Tamidei Chachamim, that it's problematic even from Tzad Echad. Whereas for the Bur, for the Amearetz, it's only problematic me, Shnei Tzadim, from both sides. B'chotzeitz. But why are they called Banaim? Because She'oskim B'binyano Shel Olam Goyimehem. Because they are engrossed, they are involved with the building of the world all of their life. That's what we say at the end of Tomak Toret every day. Tamidei here you have the same type of drasha with regards to the Tamil Chamim. 
which is a that you return a lost item to him this is based on the Gemara in Boba Metziah the Gemara in Boba Metziah says when it comes to Aveda lost item you have to bring Simanim. You have to bring indicators, clear markings that say that it is yours in order to have an object returned to you. But a Tamil Chacham does not have to give those clear Simanim. He can do it with Tviat Ayin. He looks at it and says, that's mine. You believe him? And he can take it back, even though he can't give you simanim, mubhakim. Can't give you clear indications or markings on the object that tell you that it's his. That's also, the Gemara there qualifies it, that it has to be an object that he's had long enough, that he would have enough familiarity with it, so that he could say, look, this is mine. I know it's mine, and he could take it. In addition to that, the Gemara there asks, who is a Tamil Chacham? Tamil Chacham is someone who always tells the truth, never lies, except for the three exceptions that the Gemara in Bava brings down where a person is allowed to lie, even if they are a Tamud Chochom. That person always tells the truth, and therefore they are reliable, they are Ne'eman, we can give objects back to them when they say it's theirs. Now, Rabbi Yochanan over here says, who qualifies to be such a Tamud Chochom? It's somebody who is makpid on their tunic to make sure that it's right side in. So you could wear your tunics. Tunics were, in a sense, reversible clothing, except that if you wore them inside out, the seams of the stitching were visible, as well as of the hems. If you wore them the correct way, then the stitching was on the inside and the hem was on the inside, and it was a cleaner look to the outside. If you wore it inside out, those all stuck out. So, Aitam al-Chacham is makpid to wear the begged right side in at all times. It happens to be that with the Gabay Tzitzit by the Talit Katan, it's also brought down on Locha that a person should try to wear the Talit Katan again, which is a quasi-reversible object. Whether you wear the round neck or the V-neck, you could wear them either way. Poskim bring down that a person should be makpid to try to wear it the same way every day. Same facing out and the same direction facing forward. One should make an attempt to do that. Who's a Tamar Chacham that we appoint as a leader over the community? It's an individual, you ask him halacha in any place. And he says, Even in Mesech Kala. I'm going to go forward and I'm going to come back to this in one second because there's Machloket Rishonim, how to explain this. That the people of the city are commanded to do his work to support him. Someone who leaves his own personal needs and he only is engrossed or involved in things that deal with the heaven. The mitrach berifte. It's only for his basic necessities. Rashi says. Things that he is not able to work for or to support himself because he's involved in Chepse Shemaim, he's involved in Torah. On the other hand, it's only things that Chayav Tuluimbo, only things that are a matter of life and death, I mean things that are necessities, absolute necessities, there you have to provide for him. That we just said before, that was the Gemara that we quoted, that who's a Tamar Chacham? That's a person that you ask Malacha in any place, and he says it. The Mainaf Kamino. What's the difference? The Menuye Parnasa Le Tzibor. That's appoint him as a leader over the Tzibor. Ibechada Masechta. If he is a Baki in one Masechta, Be'atrei. Then in his city, you can appoint him to be a leader or into a position of leadership. Ibechule Tnuya Beresh Metivta. If he knows the whole Shas, then he can be the Rosh Yeshiva. Now I'm going to go back and explain that statement of Rabbi Yochanan before. 
Yochanan said, who is the Tamar Chacham that you point as a Parnassal Tzibor? says, that's a Tamar Chacham that you ask him anything in Allah, any place, and he says it. Va'afilu b'mesechet kala. What does it mean, even in mesechet kala? Is that an expansive statement, or is that a contractionary statement, a narrowing statement? Does it mean that he knows everything as far as Masechet Kala? Masechet Kala, as Rashi says, is the farthest depths or reaches of Torah. Something that people don't normally learn. Something that people are not normally engaged in. It's a brighta. Only a couple people get there. So is this talking about someone who's exceptional? Not only does he know Koloshas Kulo, but he even knows Masechet Kala. This not well-trodden Masechta. That's how Rashi learns it. And this is the indication of someone who's a real Tamar Chacham. Later on, who Rabbi Yochanan would call the Rosh Hashiva. Somebody you would want to appoint as a Rosh Hashiva. On the other hand, Tosafot brings from the Gemara in Kedushin. And in the Gemara in Kedushin, it says, a person who says to a woman, marry me, on the condition that I'm a Tamar Chacham. So then, the Gemara there says, if he knows even Masechet Kala, he's classified as a Tamar Chacham. Now over there, it's clear, it doesn't mean that he knows all of Shas plus Masechet Kala. It means that he only knows Masechet Kala. One of the Masechtot Aftanot, a small Sechta, and he knows a little bit of Torah. That's it. Over there, it's a much narrower statement, meaning that he doesn't know anything. So that, those of folks says, might be the explanation here as well. You ask him anything in Shas, and he knows it, Afilu Masechet Kala means even just that one Masechta. Ah, here it sounds like he's talking about a Tamar Chacham that we're going to point over the Tzibor. That's a later statement of Yochan, and there were two types of Tamar Chachamim. There's one who knows one Masechta. If you ask him the Masechta, then you appoint him a leader over the local area, the city. There's the other Tamar Chacham, then you appoint him to Rosh Yeshiva. He's not talking here about the one you're going to make it to Rosh Yeshiva. When he says, Afilu Masechet Kala, means that you can appoint as a leader in the city, even someone who knows just that Masechet. Just that one Masechet of Masechet Kala. So I suppose reads it in a very narrow manner, which is, it means just this Masechet Kala, whereas Rashi reads it in a very expansive manner, which is Philo Masechet Kala, this unusual Masechet that even he knows it there. So I suppose it does make one more suggestion that Masechet Kala is not necessarily literally a Masechto, rather he took notes and he was present at the Kala, which is the Yarche Kala, which are the Shirim that were given before Yom Tov. Shirim that were given before the Regel. And there they had the Tamikham speak and there were certain individuals who were considered to be Bikiyam in the Kala, which is that they were either expert speakers, experts at knowing the Halachot that came from the Kala. So that might be Masechet Kala, he says, possibly means someone who is well versed in the Halachot that were given at the Kala, at the Shirim before the Regel. Now Reish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon Lakish, Amar argues on Rabbi Yochanan here. Rabbi Yochanan explained Banaim as being from the word Bonet, builders. On the other hand, Rabbi Shem Malachish learns Banaim from the Beibani, the bathhouse attendants. So he's learning out that that means what Banaim means here. And he says, Elu kelim habayim These are these, according to Rashi, fancy towels that come from overseas that are used by the bathhouse attendants for their rich clients. These were these fancy towels that were called kelim ha'olairin. Others say that they were robes, some sort of a clothing that was used by the wealthy, and that's what this banaim is. So the Gemara says, From this, it would imply that they are white, because they're fancy, they're something that you wear over a towel, and we're worried about seeing a stain on it, a grease stain on it. If they're black, or if they're colored, it wouldn't be so visible, the grease stain on them. The grease stain is only really visible if they are white. To be mocked be that the grease stain is only on one side, seems to indicate that we're talking about a white bigot over here. Is that really true? Barmalu Rabbi Anai Lebanav. Rabbi says to his children, Banai, Altik Bruni Lobekelim Levanim. 
Don't put me in white clothing when you bury me. Don't put me in black clothing. Don't put me in white clothing. Maybe I will not be zoche, and I'll end up in Gehinom, where everybody looks kishuleak deira, everybody's black like ash, and then I'll look like a chatan amongst the avilim. I'll be wearing white, and everybody else will be wearing black, and I'll stand out like a sore thumb. Shchorim, don't bury me in the black. Shemizke, maybe I will have the schut. Kavel ben achatanim, and I'll end up in Olamaba in Ganeden, and I'll be wearing black amongst all those that are wearing white. Again, I'll be like a mourner amongst the chatanim, amongst the grooms. I'll be staring at like a sword. I'm going to be wearing black amongst those that are wearing white. Ella bekelim, hold ayirin. Abayim midinatayam. You should bury me in this type of clothing that comes midinatayam, the same clothing that Rabbi Shimon Lakish just mentioned. Rabbi Shimon Lakish seems to indicate it's white. Now here we have Yanai, who's telling his children how to bury him, seems to indicate that it's not white, and it's not black. Where it says, Alma sumke ninu. From there it sounds like they are red. Now sumke is interesting because generally the Gemara uses the word sumke, like in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, when it comes to the alakha, of whether one can kill another person to save their life. Over here, the Gemara uses the term sumke to refer to the blood of an individual that it's red. But over here, red would be, I guess, somewhat unusual. If you're wearing red, you'd stand out too, I think, amongst the white and the black. But others say sumke means colored clothing rather than specifically the color red. When it says, Lokash abiglime ha belavushe. Depends. They're different clothing, pieces of clothing that are affected. That glima, the outer cloak, that is sumke. That is red or colored. Whereas the levushe, the shirt or the inner clothing is white. So when Reish Lakish was referring to these kelim, olareim, that are white, he's talking about the tunic or the inner clothing. Rabbi Yanai, who's speaking about the colored clothing, is talking about the gleam of the cloak that they wore on top. So it must have been of the same material or from the same location that they imported it overseas. But when you talked about different parts of clothing... It came in different colors. But Safo points out, we also had this Gemara in Nida. And over there, the Gemara says there's a schema between them being black and they're being colored. And so over there, the Gemara differentiates as well. So he says there are actually three different types of clothing. There's clothing that is colored, clothing that's white, and clothing that's black. So you have all three colors that come in these kilim olayrein, depending on which piece of clothing that you end up getting, whether it's the outer clothing, the tunic, or other pieces of clothing. Right, so now the Gemara continues. Rabbi Shmuel Omer Mikaplim. This is the latter half of the Mishnah, where we had the machlok between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva, regards to the relationship between Yom HaKippurim and Shabbat. So the Gemara says, Tanrabanan, Olat, Shabbat, Bishabato. The Olav Shabbat is brought on Shabbat. Limeid. Al-Chavay Shabbat Shemakrivim B'Yom HaKippurim. The way the Gemara is reading it now, as Rashi says, they dropped the Vav of the last Shabbato. They say Olat Shabbat Bishabbat Acheret. You're allowed to bring the Olav Shabbat on a different Shabbat. What's that different Shabbat? That means the Chavay Shabbat, the fats that are left over from Shabbat, you can bring on Yom Kippur, which is also called Shabbat. Yochol Avshal Yom HaKippurim Bishabbat. I would think that you could also bring the fats from the carbonate of Yom Kippurim on Shabbat, meaning if it fell out on Erev Shabbat Yom Kippurim, then you could bring the leftover fats on Shabbat. And Malomar, Bishabato in the possessive form. Well, that Shabbat, Bishabato in its own Shabbat. Divrei Rabbi Shmuel. So that's the explanation of Rabbi Shmuel's opinion, which is that if Yom Kippur falls out on Motzei Shabbat, you can bring the carbonate that were left over from Shabbat on Yom Kippur. Whereas if Yom Kippur falls out on Erev Shabbat, you may not bring the leftover fat liver carbonate from Yom Kippur on Shabbat itself. We know that Rabbi Kiva differs. There we see that you can bring the chalavim, the leftover fat, the leftover carbonate from Shabbat on Yom Tov. So dash in the same way, Olat Shabbat, Bishabbat Acheret. 
Shabbat Acherd here is Yom Tov. Yochel Af B'Yom HaKippurim, you would think also on Yom Kippur, Tamalomer, B'Shabbato, that only on that type of Shabbat, not a different type of Shabbat. Shekhtim Tzalomer, from their statements, we can conclude the Divrei Rabbi Shmuel, according to Rabbi Shmuel, Nidarim Nidavot Krevim B'Yom Tov. Voluntary offerings can be brought on Yom Tov. And therefore, when he brought the Pasuk, we needed it for Yom HaKippurim. On Yom Tov itself, it's a machloket whether voluntary offerings can be brought on Yom Tov or not. Do we say that only Chovot Yom, only those things that are obligatory on the day of Yom Tov may be brought, but voluntary offerings, you have to wait until Cholom you have to wait until after Yom Tov? Or do we say that even voluntary offerings, Nedarim and Devot, Olot Shlamim, can be brought on Yom Tov itself? The Gemara suggests over here that Rabbi Shmuel is of the opinion that can be brought on Yom Tov. If voluntary offerings can be brought on Yom Tov, then Kalvachomer, obligatory offerings like the leftover fats from Shabbat can certainly be brought on Yom Tov. Therefore, I don't need a pasuk to be matir Chalvei Shabbat on Yom Tov. If I don't need a pasuk to be matir Chalvei Shabbat on Yom Tov, then what do I need the pasuk for? It says for Yom Kippur. I tell you that you can bring Chalvei Shabbat on Yom Kippur. That's the way Rabbi Shmuel learns. Whereas the Divrei Rabbi Akiva, right, Rabbi Akiva, the Rimi Devot, ain't craving Yom Tov. Now, when it comes to voluntary offerings, you may not bring them on Yom Tov. They have to be brought on Cholamoe. They have to be brought after the Yom Tov. So then, what do I need the pasuk for? Alat Shabbat B'Shabbatot to teach you. That the Chelvei Shabbat, Kalavim of Shabbat, can be brought on Yom Tov itself. It's not obvious. We wouldn't have known that otherwise. That's why he has it the Mishrei be Yom Tov. If he has it to be Matar on Yom Tov, then he doesn't have it available to be Matar on Yom HaKippurim. And that'll explain the difference in the opinions of Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva. They're both darshing from the same Pasuk, Volat Shabbat B'Shabbato. How do they know that that second Shabbat is referring to Yom Kippur or Yom Tov? It has to do with their opinion in Yom Tov itself. Whether Nidarim and Devot are permitted on Yom Tov itself. If Nidarim and Nidvot are permitted, I don't need the puzzle for Yom Tov, so I use the puzzle for Yom Kippur. If I don't have Nidarim and Nidvot on Yom Tov, then I need the puzzle to tell me that I can bring it on Yom Tov. And that will explain the difference in their opinion. Ami Rabbi Zeira, Ki Avina When I used to live in Bavel, Av Hadatanya. I used to say that which we have in a bright, Yom Kippurim, Shechaliot Erev Shabbat. Kippur that falls out on Erev Shabbat, Lo Hayu Tokim. They did not blow the shofar. Shabbat, lo hayu mavdilin. And on Motzei Shabbat, they would not make Abdallah. Divrei hakol hi. That was everybody's opinion. Everybody agreed to this position. Once I reached Eretz Yisrael, Bizeira made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. It learned in Bavel. And later on makes Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. It's found in the Gemara at the end of Ketubot, the story about Rabbi Zeira making Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. It says, as long as I lived in Bavel, I thought this was a... Uniform opinion. Then I got to Eretz Yisrael. Ashkechite the Yehuda Brei the Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi bumped into this individual. The Yotiv Kamar and he was saying Rabbi Akiva he. That's only according to the sheet that Rabbi Akiva that Yom Kippurim and Shabbat are on equal planes. Dear Rabbi Shmuel, according to Rabbi Shmuel, Kevin to Amar Chovei Shabbat Kriyim be Yom Kippurim. Since the fats of Shabbat are Kriyim be Yom Kippurim, litka. You should have to blow the shofar. Keichet lave yade the Chovei Shabbat Kriyim be Yom Kippurim, so that you may know that you can bring the Chalavim and Shabbat. On Yom Kippur. I said to him, Kwanim Zrizim Hain. You don't need to blow the shofar for the Kwanim. Kwanim are Bikiim in these things. They don't need a special siman to know that this is the case. And therefore, even according to Rabbi Ishmael, you would not blow the shofar. So now this is interesting. Because in general, as Rashi points out, the shofar was blown on Erev Shabbat. Shofar is blown on Erev Shabbat to indicate that the Kedusha is going up. You're now found in a lower form of Kedusha where certain things are mutar. 
I blow the shofar to indicate to you that's about to change. I'm blowing the shofar to tell you that we're about to upgrade the Kedusha. When we upgrade the Kedusha, that means that certain things that were mutter until now are going to be a sort. For instance, you have Yom Tov on Erev Shabbat. Then going into Shabbat, you can blow the shofar to indicate to people that Ochel Nefesh is no longer mutar. Ochel Nefesh is a sort because we're upgrading the Kedusha from Kedushat Yom Tov to Kedushat Shabbat. The opposite is when we leave a higher Kedusha into a lower Kedusha. So for instance, if Yom Tov falls out on Motzei Shabbat, there we make Havdalah. Havdalah is an indication that I've now moved from a higher level of Kedusha to a lower level of Kedusha. So on a regular Shabbat, we're Mavdil because you're leaving Shabbat and going into a weekday. When you have Yom Tov after Shabbat, you're also Mavdil. Mavdil ben Kodesh the Kodesh, because you moved from a higher level of Kedusha to a lower level of Kedusha. Until now it was Shabbat. Now it's Yom Tov, where it's Mutar Bochel Nefesh. So Tkiat Shofar is an indication on Erev Shabbat, or an elevation of Kedushah. Havdalah is on Motzei Shabbat, or an indication of lowering of Kedushah. So according to Rabbi Akiva, who feels that Yom Kippur and Shabbat are on an equal plane, you would both not blow a Shofar on Erev Shabbat, because there's no elevation of Kedushah. And you also would not make Havdalah on Motzei Shabbat, because there is no degradation in the Kedushah. Whereas, according to Rabbi Shmuel, there is a difference. According to Rabbi Shmuel, if you're moving from Yom Kippur into Shabbat, you should blow the Shofar. Because Yom Kippur, you are not allowed to bring those Chalavim, those fats from Yom Kippur, on Shabbat. So you should blow the Shofar to demonstrate that, or to differentiate between the Kedushat of Yom Kippur to Kedushat Shabbat. And the reverse is true. On Motzei Shabbat, you should make Havdalah, because when the Shabbat leaves, you're allowed to put the Chalavim of Shabbat on the Mizbeach on Yom Kippurim. To that, we had the response of Rabbi Zer, which says, I would not blow the Shofar simply for the Kohanim. Because in this instance, you're going to end up in a case, came in to kill the Yom Kippurim, Rashi says, Mishabbat litkalav til miakriv chavei Yom you should blow on Erev Shabbat in order to prevent them from putting the fats on the Mizbeach and Shabbat. And then on Motzei Shabbat, they won't need to blow because the absence of a Tki'ah will indicate that you can't put the Chalavim of Shabbat on Mizbeach and Yom Kippurim. So you blow the Shofar to elevate it. Rabbi Zerah says back, Kwanim's Rizimim. You can't just blow a Shofar for the Kwanim. The only difference between Yom Kippur and Shabbat is putting the fats on the Mizbeach or not putting the fats on the Mizbeach that's the realm of the Kohanim. And the Kohanim are well-educated, well-versed. Zizimim, you don't need to blow the Shofar for them. The Shofar is for the Hamonam. is for the remainder of the people who aren't so aware of these changes or these differences that come up. And therefore, we would blow the Shofar for them. But that's not the case by Yom HaKippurim. Do we really say that the Kohanim are Zizimim? We don't have to blow the Shofar for them? It's not a number of Tkiot that are blown in the Mikdash. It says there that they blow three Tkiot on Erev Shabbat to tell the people to stop doing Melachah. And three to separate between Kodesh and Chol. Over there, it sounds like they're blowing the shofar in the Mikdash, which makes it sound like it's for the Kohanim. The answer is no, like Abai said, it's not for the Kohanim. It's blown in the Mikdash. It's blown by the corner of the Mikdash, but its purpose is for the Shar Amod Yerushalayim. It's for the remainder of the people in Yerushalayim. And so too over here, in this Mishnah, when we're discussing the case of Shlosh Lavdil Dami Melacha, Shalosh Lavdil Ben Kodesh in both instances, that is for the Shar Amod Yerushalayim. So they should hear that shofar, and then they'll know through that shofar what they need to do.
So Gemara says, "Litka hecha deliyede deshari bekniva diyerek min amincha ulamalo." Shablod the shofar, so people should know that there is a differentiation between Shabbat and Yom Hakipurim. So this we're going to get to at the end of today's daf. That on Yom Kippurim they allowed Kniva Tayarak. Kniva Tayarak, even though generally it was not allowed on Shabbat, and it should not be allowed on Yom Kippurim, be an Easter, which is picking off the leaves from the vegetables, so they should be ready to be cooked on Mosa Yom Kippurim, they should be ready to be made immediately on the exit of Yom Kippur. So the Gemara says, we're going to see this at the end of today's daf, that they permitted Kniva Tayarak late in the day on Yom Kippur, because it's Agmat Nefesh. It's actually an increase in Inui. Plus, the person more affliction to be engaged with the food, to repair the food is something that makes them feel even worse. So therefore, it's not a breach of the Inuit Nefesh on Yom HaKippurim. And that will get the food ready or be prepared for the meal on Motzei Yom HaKippurim. There is a difference between Shabbat and Yom HaKippurim. On Shabbat, we never permit Knivat We do never permit this picking off of the leaves from the vegetables. On the other hand, on Yom HaKippurim, we do permit it. So that's what the Gemara is asking here. Velitka, blow the shofar. So that people should know that there's a difference between Shabbat and Yom HaKippurim. On Shabbat, Knivat was impermissible. Whereas on Yom HaKippurim, it is permissible. So there is a change in the status of Kiddushah from Shabbat into Yom HaKippurim. So if Yom HaKippurim falls out on Erev Shabbat, you should blow the shofar in order to indicate to the people that we've changed Dusha now. So Rav Shisha Breder of Rav Yosef, Vishen Tochim, Shvut Lahatir. Yosef says, we're not going to blow the shofar in order to be matir. It's an interesting statement by Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef says, blowing the shofar is an isur der Abanan. An isur der Abanan to blow the shofar on Shabbat or on Yom Tov or on Yom HaKippurim. So when we have Erev Shabbat, that's Yom Tov going into Shabbat, we blow the shofar to indicate to the people that we're moving from Yom Tov into Shabbat. That's a dispensation, really, or a breach of this Isra the Rabbanan to blow the shofar on Yom Tov. Why do we allow this dispensation? Why do we allow this to happen? Because it's an upgrade in Kedushah. To stop the people from doing something that was mutar until now, that we're willing to do, and that the Rabbanan gave a dispensation for. What the Rabbanan did not give a dispensation for is to blow the shofar to tell you something is now more mutar than it was before. To degrade the Kedushah, we're not going to blow the shofar. So here, if you're going to blow the shofar on Yom HaKippurim to tell the people now that they're permitted to do Knivat Yerak, that they weren't allowed to do Shabbat, that the Chachamim did not give dispensation for. The Yossi says it's a one-way street when it comes to the shofar. Only blow the shofar on a Yom Tov in order to upgrade the situation or tell you that there's an upgrade in Kedushah coming. To downgrade the Kedushah, that we will not allow a shofar to be blown for. Rav Shisha Breder Vidi Amar, Shvut Tiru. Shvut Rechoka Lohitiru. A Shvut that has impact immediately, they were matir. Shvut Rechoka, Shvut that doesn't have impact immediately, that they were not matir. Rashi says, if we allow you to blow the shofar this year, so if you have Yom Kippur fallout on Arab Shabbat, and you want to blow the shofar because of this Kniva Diarek, we don't need that. Because Yom Kippur that falls out on Arab Shabbat, Lo yivashlum. You would never be mivashel them because you're coming into Shabbat. Coming into Shabbat, you can't cook the vegetables. Picking off the leaves later on Yom Kippur is not permissible in that year. That kiyah will only be there for another year. So that if Yom Kippur falls out in the middle of the week, the differentiation or this blowing of the shofar will have, according to Rashi, no impact in this year. Because in this year, they won't permit nivata yerek. Why won't they permit Knivat Because Yom Kippur is on Erev Shabbat. On Erev Shabbat, you can't do Knivat because the preparation of the vegetables is so that you can cook them on Motzei Yom HaKippurim. 
If it's Erev Shabbat, Mutzi Yom Kippur is Shabbat, and you're not going to cook them. So if you blow the Shofar this year, it's only to tell you that in subsequent years, that can even at the year, because Mutar, there's a difference between Yom Kippurim and Shabbat. It's consistent with Rashi's opinion that you only blow the Shofar when you're upgrading to Shah, when you're going from Erev Shabbat into Shabbat, not when you are downgrading from Shabbat into Yom HaKippurim. And therefore, Rashi says, in that instance where Yom Kippur falls out on Erev Shabbat, you would blow the shofar going into Shabbat to indicate that we've elevated Kedushah. Kniva Tayyar was mutar on Yom Kippur. It's not mutar on Shabbat. But in that year, it would have no impact. Because you wouldn't do Kniva Tayyar in that year because Motzei Yom Kippur is Shabbat. So he says, the only reason for that blowing the shofar is for in subsequent years, when Yom Kippur falls out in the middle of the week, that you're allowed to do Kniva Tayyar. So that's the difference between Shvut Krovah and Shvut Rechokah. Shvut Krovah means it has impact on this year. It makes a difference now. Shvud Rechukah is that we won't allow you to breach Yom HaKippurim and build the shofar on Yom HaKippurim in order to tell us in subsequent years you're allowed to do Knivad Yerek on Yom HaKippurim. Where it says, is that really true? Shvad Kruvak Tiritiru, is that really true that then when it was a Shvud that was immediate in need, they blew the shofar? That's not. Yom Tov Shkali Yom Tov Shabbat. Yom Tov that falls out on Erev Shabbat took im velo mavdilin. You blow the shofar, but you don't make Avdalah because you're talking about an upgrade in Kedushah. Motzei Shabbat if Yom Tov falls out after Shabbat, Mavdilim below Tokim, or Mavdil, in order to drop the level of Tusha, because we're degrading the Tusha, below Tokim, but you don't blow the Shofar. Vamai, why don't you blow the Shofar on Motzei Shabbat? Litzkak, eche deleidei deshari b'shchita l'altar. So blow the Shofar, so you know right away you're allowed to do Shchita. Why don't we blow the Shofar on Motzei Shabbat? That's what already clarifies over here. When we're talking about blowing the Shofar here on Motzei Shabbat, we're not talking about blowing the shofar to tell people that you have heter ochel nefesh. You would not be blowing the shofar for heter ochel nefesh, but rather to indicate them that you should prepare. It's time to prepare the Yom Tov meal. It's for an active mitzvah. It's for the mitzvah of Simcha de Yom Tov, to have the Sudat Yom Tov. So you blow the shofar in order to indicate the people that there's a mitzvah right now to take care of. Now that Shabbat's over, you got to get involved in making or preparing for the meal of Yom Tov. And so that's why we're, we should have blown the shofar and motzei. Shabbat. Had it been simply that we're dropping Kedushah, then you would make Havdalah. You wouldn't blow the Shofar. So here the Gemara is saying that you blow the Shofar in order to know that you should be shechting on Motzei Shabbat and getting ready for the Yom Tov meal. So where it says the fact that we don't do that, Elamechavar took the Rav Yosef. That it's made clear now that Rav Yosef's answer is correct, that we don't blow the Shofar Beheter. We don't blow the Shofar in order to allow people to do Malachar, tell them that they can do something they were not permitted in beforehand. We only blow the Shofar to tell people to have teal, to stop doing something they were doing before, and that's why we always blow the Shofar on every Shabbat, and we make Abdullah on Mutzei Shabbat. There's a very interesting Tosafot over here, the last Tosafot on the Amud. That's the on the Amud says, V'amai, Lolo dia di Yom Tov kill. Not to tell you that Yom Tov is a lower form of Dusha. Lolo dia shehu laila. Tell you it's nighttime. V'chein omeri. The re says here, Ma shetokim b'motzei Yom Kippurim. How can we blow the shofar at the end of Yom Kippur? Enu elo dia shu laila. So tell people it's nighttime. Ve'achilu et b'nehem shitanu, and they should go and feed their children who have been fasting, afflicted all day. Gam lachin sudat motzei Yom Kippurim. Get start preparing that meal. Promotes Yom Kippur, she ain't Yom Tov. That's like a Yom Tov. Velo kimach zorim shekatuben shtgiyah zechad yovel. Not like those machzorim that have this funny thing written in them that we blow the shofar and motzi Yom Kippur zechad yovel. So you know if Tosfot is discarding something that obviously someone else says what Tosfot is discarding. 
And that is the shita of the Geonim. Rav Haigon was asked about this. You asked me about why we build the Shofar Motzi Yom Kippur. It's the bowl, not just a tkiah, but a tkiah shvarim truat tkiah. Chomakom, velo matzinu tam chova. I don't find any obligatory reason to blow the shofar. It's not something that's a chova. Elodome says, what's the reason I think we do this? Kihu zecher the yovel. It's a remembrance of the yovel. Shinemar, bo tabiru shofar becholat zechem. You blow the shofar in your land. Uminagenu bechoshana vishana. The only problem is yovel only falls out every 50 years. So every 50 years you should blow on Motzei Yom Kippur. Why are you blowing every year on Motzei Yom Kippur? It says, Atu Yovel. We blow every Motzei Yom Kippur up to the one out of 50 years when it would have been the Yovel. To remind us of that Yovel, we blow every year. Inami, Kedela, our Beivet Satan, to confuse the Satan. Well, the Beivet Satan is a term that's used by Rosh Hashanah. And that's why we blow the Tkiot Miushav and the Tkiot Miumad to confuse the Satan. But what does that have to do with Motzei Yom HaKippurim. So I have here a bunch of the Rishonim and later the Achronim that discuss this issue of why we blow the Shofar on Motzei Yom HaKippurim. The strange minhag. And the question is why? Here the Ri already is saying the reason we blow it is to tell you that it's a Yom Tov on Motzei Yom Kippur. Not to tell you that it's a Yovel. What does it have to do with the Yovel? And one of his main claims against the Benu Hai is that why are we blowing it every year if it's Zechel Yovel? Blow it once every 50 years. Doesn't make sense. So the Levush who is a Talmud Mufak of the Ramah, actually has a very extensive piece here on why we blow the Shofar on Motzei Yom HaKippurim. He collected many of the reasons, and it's very interesting. It says, Vomrim, Hashem Elohim Shiv'api Amim. They say Hashem Elohim seven times, which is we know. L'lavot HaShchina. To accompany the Shchina, Shetaleh V'tisalek Achshav Lalot Mala Mizayin Rikim. As the Shchina now is returning to its normal place, where it sits above the Seven heavens. Tosafot in Brachot on Daf Lamidalad Amoralus says this. That's why we say Hashem Huwalukim seven times and why it's not inappropriate. There the Gemara says you're not allowed to repeat Sukim over again. You can't say Shema Yisrael twice. So on Motzei Yom Kippur we say Shema Yisrael once. Then we say Baruch Shem three times. And then we say Hashem Huwalukim seven times. The Tosafot over there says that practice is justified because we are accompanying the Shekhinah through the seven Rikim, returning the Shem Elohim through the seven Rikim. Kevan Shekvar Gamru Yisrael Tfilatan. Because Bnei Yisrael have now finished davening. Kibishata Tfilah Haita Shekhinah Shruya Beineinu. On Yom HaKippurim when we daven, the Shekhinah is present amongst us. V'achshav Taleh L'mekomah, now it's returning to its place. So one of the reasons that Rav Soloveitchik argued vehemently that people should cover their head through the entire Yom HaKippurim, because like by Shmon Esrei, when you're Omed Lifnei HaMelech, you're standing before God, you cover your head. So to here, on Yom HaKippurim, it's clear from here that the Shekhinah is present the entire Yom Kippur. And the presence of the Shekhinah demands that one cover their head out of respect for the Shekhinah. And therefore, one should cover their head for the entire Yom HaKippurim because of the Shekhinah being present. Based on this, he says that the saying of the Shem Elohim seven times is to accompany the Shekhinah that's leaving us. Then he says, V'tokim t'kiyah achat. We blow one blow of the tkiyah. That's a sign of the shchina leaving. She misdelekid bole under a kiyah. Kemo gives an example. Kemo shaya b'matan Torah. Just like by in Parshat Tiro, matan Torah dechtiv. Bimshocha yovel heima yalu bahar. When the yovel, when the shofar is blown, you're allowed to go onto the mountain because the mountain was kadosh with the presence of Hashem. When the shofar is blown, that means the presence of the shchina has left. 
So in the presence of Shekhinah left, you blow a shofar to indicate that the Shekhinah has left. Uchtiv. Allah alukim bitruah. That God ascends with the truah. Vigam. He says, in addition to that, Hadgiyah siman simcha v'nitzuach. Hadgiyah is a sign of excitement, happiness, and victory. Lomar, shenitzachnu et satan Say that we won against the satan. Vigam humit arbev bitkiyazu. Remember the Haigon said that the Satan got confused by the Tkiah? He says this Tkiah mixes up the Satan. He'll think it's the Shofar Latidavo, the day of the death of the Satan, and he won't be able to prosecute. So why do we mix him up now? Because he's coming back. Gemara tells us that the Satan has power over the individual for 364 days a year. One day a year, the Satan has no control over the individual, and that is Yom Akipurim. So in Yom HaKibarim, the Shekhinah is present. The Satan is not present. So now you have an exchange between the two of them. The Satan's returning, and the Shekhinah is leaving. So you blow the Shofar to accompany the Shekhinah that's leaving. But you also blow the Shofar because the Satan's returning. And you want to be our babe, the Satan. Keep him at bay. So you blow the Shofar, and say Yom HaKibarim. To say, don't come back with all your force here, the Satan. Va'od, he brings another reason. Gitkiyat HaShofar Hu Siman Chayrut. It's a sign of... Freedom. That's on the Yovel. When we blow the Shofar, we blow it because the slaves return to their homes. Everybody's freed. The land returns to its place. That's the Siman of Chirut. Today, the Nishamot were freed from the sins of the body. And the bodies were freed from the punishment that they deserved. And then the last reason he gives. Which is that of the Rav Haigon. Baboshir brings the number of reasons why we blow the Shofar on Motzei Yom HaKippurim. But it's very interesting, the blowing of the Shofar Motsayim Kirim, it's accompaniment of the Shina. It's to be Marbev, the Satan that's returning. Chirut, the freedom from sin, the freedom from the burdens of sin. And it's also Zecher Le Yovel. We have here the Tosafot, who adds in that additional idea that you blow the Shofar, because it's a Yom Tov on Motsayim Kippurim. And it's not a well-known Yom Tov. That's what Tosafot It's not, people don't celebrate, they're not so into this Yom Tov. It's a Yom Tov, a Motsayim Kippurim. And therefore, you should blow the shofar to remind the people they have to make a big meal, they have to make a yom tov plus. They write down that you should wish your friends good yontif and Motzei Yom Kippur because it's a holiday, it's a special holiday, and because that shofar reminds you to wish them good yom tov. Amar Rabbi Zera, Amar Rav Huna, Amar Ilam, Amar Rabbi Av, Amar Rav Huna, Yom Kippurim shechaliot b'Shabbat. Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbat. Asur b'Knivad Yerek. It's a sur to do this picking of the leaves. So as opposed to Yom Kippur, when it's standalone, you're allowed to do this. When Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbat, you may not do this. How do we know that when Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbat, you're not allowed to do this, picking the leaves? Torah says the word Shabbaton to teach you Shvot. You have to desist from doing this Malachat. It's actually found in this week's Pasha that we're going to read. There's a description of Shabbat as a Shabbaton, that there's a Shvot. Lamai. What do you need this Shabbaton to teach you? That you have to desist from Malacha. We already know from Parshat Titro by the asserted Tibro, you're not allowed to do any work on Shabbat. So this Shabbat is coming to tell you that you cannot have Knivat Yerak on Shabbat itself. Rabbi Yochanan disagrees and says that even when Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbat, you're allowed to do Knivat Yerak.
The bright that we just had before, Shavuot. If you think it's for regular melacha, v'aktiv lo taseh kol melacha. Ela b'knivat yerek, it must be talking about knivat yerek. It says, lo, the olam le melacha. It's talking about regular melacha on Shabbat. V'avor le v'asei v'lo taseh. It's to tell you that there's both a positive and a negative commandment with regards to the violation of melacha on Shabbat. Tanya kavote de Rabbi Yochanan. We have a brighter that supports Rabbi Yochanan. Yom HaKiprim Shechaliot B'Shabbat, Yom Kriya Falls Down on Shabbat, Mutar B'Knivat Yerek. It is permissible B'Knivat Yerek. So we have a brighter that seems to go against the position of Rabbi Yochanan. We answer that brighter by saying that the Shabbaton there is not coming to teach you about B'Knivat Yerek, but rather to teach you that there's a mitzvah that's associated with the Malacha as well. And then we have another brighter that supports the position of Rabbi Yochanan. So very interesting here is the last Rashi on the Amud. The last Rashi on the Amud says that when we're talking about Allah the Knivat Yerek, Ba'alma B'Talush, we're talking about vegetables already picked, Mid Allah Malacha Kayalei Ba'asei the Shabbaton Shvot. And even though there's no Isser Malacha because they're already picked the Talush to pick off the leaves and that comes out of the Shvot from the Pasuk of Shabbaton. Kei Midoraita Asur B'chol Shabbatot HaShana Ha'chalo Sharin Le'i Mishum Agmat Nefesh the mitche isur de oraito. So since the rest of the time, midoraito, it's a sur, b'chol shabbatot it's a sur, and all other shabbatots of the year, from the word shabbaton, and I say, there's a mitzvah that say in a Torah, not to do knivat yerak on Shabbat, therefore we're not going to permit it on Yom Kippur that falls out on Shabbat. We're not going to give you a dispensation because of the Akmat Nefesh to do it on Yom Kippurim itself. If it was a mitzvah derabonon, if we're just talking about a simple derabonon, then that's fine. But if we're talking about an Isu Doraita, mitzvah tasei mina Torah, then we're not going to let you or give you a dispensation to do this on Yom HaKippurim. Ubishar Yom HaKippurim Shari Lagmat Nefesh. But what about Yom Kippur itself? Yom Kippur itself, Tichtebe Nami Shabbaton. It also has the word Shabbaton written by it. It's Shabbat Shabbaton by Yom HaKippurim. So why don't we say the same thing? There's a mitzvah tasei on Yom Kippur, not to do Kniva Yerek. And how are we permitting Kniva Yerek on Yom HaKippurim because of this Agma Nefesh. The answer Rashi gives is that the nature of the Isra Malacha on Yom HaKippurim is different than the Isra Malacha that's found on Shabbat. And that he says, It's very different. The Isra Malacha on Shabbat is inherent to the Shabbat. And therefore, the Asay comes to be Oser Melachot on Shabbat. Whereas the Shabbat Shabbaton and the Isra Melachot by Yom HaKippur, according to Rashi, is really associated with the Inui Nefesh. It has to do with the affliction of the day. It's coming to enhance the Inui Nefesh of the day. And therefore, he says, the Shabbaton is Shvot Vavmi Melachot El Mikodavar Makeb Nitanot. Shabbaton means desist. Not from doing Melachot Yom Kippur, but desist from things that stop you from having Inui Nefesh, having affliction on Yom HaKippurim. Therefore we see that the primary part of the day of Yom Kippur is Inui Nefesh, and Malacha is only secondary to that. It's only there to enhance or to ensure that there is Inui Nefesh. Whereas for Shabbat, the Isra Malacha, or the Shavuot, the desisting from Malacha, is the fundamental or focal point of the Shabbat. And because of that, the Shabbaton, and each one of them is read differently. The Shabbaton by Shabbat is read to Oser Kniba Jerech. Whereas, by the Shabbaton, by Yom Kippur, is read to enhance the Inoya Nefesh. And therefore, if Nibad Yerk enhances Inoya Nefesh, then it would not be impermissible on Yom Kippurim. So, the Amar, Rabbi Chir, Rabbi Avram, Rabbi Yochanan, Yom Kippur, Mishchal, Yom Kippur, Mifatzim, Be'egozim, you can break open the nuts. 
you can open up the pomegranates, similar to what we saw before about Mutar Mikrivat Yark. Question if this is a separate statement, or according to the Marshal, it's a continuation of the Brighta that we brought before, which allowed to do these preparations on a weekday at the end of Yom HaKiburim, because it increases Inuay Nefesh, Mipnei Agmat Nefesh, because of the pain that it causes, that a person's engaged with food, even though they can't eat, since it's an enhancement of the Inuit, one is permitted to do such a thing. Debei Rabbi Yudah Mekanvei, Kravo, they used to pick off the leaves from the cabbage. Bei Rabba Gardei Kare, they used to peel open or break open pumpkins. Came into Chazav Dukam Mecharfei, when he saw that they were becoming Zrizim, and they started working on the food even before Menchotai, Amalo, Alta Yigarta Mimarava Mishrei Rabbi Yochan says, we got a letter from Eretz Yisrael saying that Rabbi Yochanan said that doing this on Yom Kippur is a sewer. Now that's what he really received. Not that that really was the halacha. But he saw they were being mekul in this halacha. But in order to prevent them from being mekul in this halacha, he had to give them a reason. He says that now we got an information that it's a sewer. But they also had to do it from a gavarava, from Yochanan, who they would listen to. Then they would stop doing this because Yochanan was someone who was chashuv in their eyes. Therefore he said, oh, we got a letter from Yochanan saying that it's no longer permissible to do this to prevent them from doing it too early in the day because when they permitted it, they were taking advantage and doing it even before the Mincha Lamala. When the Hector is only Mina Mincha Lala for the latter half of Yom Kippur, when a person is deep in their fasting, then it's an Inuit to engage with the food. Before that point in time, it's not really an Inuit and therefore would not be permissible on Yom Kippur. So in order to prevent any problems, he told them now it's a sewer, we can't do this at all on Yom Kippurim. Okay, we'll stop here.